Hi guys, welcome to Belief Alchemy with Megan O'Neill. Every week I'll be sitting down to interview visionary women who will teach us how to have a more magical mindset and to create greater possibility in our lives and in our business. So hello, hello, and welcome, Miss Wendy. I'm so happy to have you here today. Um, this is going to be a great, great podcast. I'm so excited. Um, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Um, Wendy Brookhouse, please introduce yourself. Oh, thank you so much, Megan. I am absolutely thrilled to be here today on your course and talking about money mindset, a subject near and dear to me. My company name is Black Star Wealth. I have many hats that I wear, uh, CEO, financial strategist, money coach, author, all those fun hats. And I love helping people find, grow, and keep their money. Yes. And I did not know that you were also an author. I mean, is there, is there anything that you haven't done? I think you, do you have your MBA as well? Are you a yes. person? Yes, you do. So, I mean, for someone like me who comes from the world of the arts and, you know, I did, I was a history major. I just, I, I always, I have friends who are MBAs and I always think it's fantastic. So, you know, how you and I met is through a mutual friend of ours. And mm -hmm. I'm always really interested, as I was saying to you beforehand, I'm always really interested in talking to women, particularly women who have their own company like you, who are um, successful, who have interesting, you, you have a really interesting business. And so anybody who's, get, who's getting a little bit nervous listening to us, because I find that when you start to talk about money or talk about money mindset, people's, um, people get triggered by that. So anybody mm -hmm. who's getting triggered right now, do not, this is going to be a great conversation. And I want, I want everybody to just open themselves up to, you know, taking something away from this conversation. Cause that's all, my, my intention is to learn from you around your mindset. But We're just going to talk, tell stories and have fun yeah, today, Megan. Exactly. It is Friday. Yeah. We should have had our drinks with us. <laughs> but, um, I how did you, like, how did you get started in the financial world? It's such an interesting story. So I, uh, my undergrad is in finance and management. And then I did my executive MBA and I was working as a business consultant. So I wrote business plans and marketing plans, strategic plans. I helped with the implementations and things like that. And then I have a client who was a financial advisor. And over the course of my work with her, I realized, I can do this better. Why am I, why am I sending other people to this person when I actually have the finance background that I can actually help people and feel like I'm doing a very good job for people. And also what I find is, is that um, with finance, people are so ready to admit they are when they get to it, they're ready to admit they need help and that they don't know it all. Cause it is a separate and completely distinct language uh, of investing and finance and all those things. So having an interpreter along the way just fits naturally for me. So I quite enjoy doing it. And I realized when you think about helping people with their money versus helping people with a business plan, the, the approach is very much similar. Like we have an objective, a challenge, something we're trying to achieve. And then we have, uh, okay, let's dig ourselves into that. What are our options? Let's evaluate the options. Let's choose the right option and then let's implement. So if we think about all of those pieces, um, it's a natural, it's a, it was a natural trans, uh, transformation into this industry for me. And I also think that I was able to bring some of my unique approaches from consulting into this world. And having run other businesses and also helped other business owners, I think it brought 
a little bit of a different perspective for me in that I always believed I should never just tell you what to do. I should also show you how. I always felt that in the consulting world, sometimes people would hand you this wonderfully thick document, thoroughly researched that says you should do X with no explanation of how to actually do it. So I always hated that part. So you, you essentially in many ways are a teacher. Oh yeah. I should add that to my list too, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have yeah, that. Yeah. The way that, that I see you is you're a great balance of right and left brain sort of activity. I call myself, I have a purple head brain. I say that. All the time. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Now, were your parents in the financial world? Is that, no. My mother was a nurse. Oh. My dad was uh, in uh, farming and he did, he was a plant science uh, person who worked at the, at the agriculture college in Truro. And so, yeah, a completely different uh, mindset. They can keep more plants alive than I ever could in my lifetime. I love those. I love those people. Yeah. Now, when you were growing up, because I have worked over the years with many accountants, some financial people, and I find that often their parents were, were excellent at teaching them financial skills. Were your parents like that? Hmm. I don't know that there were overt lessons. And I think I talk about that a lot, Megan, I'm sure you do too, but I'm like, no one actually teaches people about money as a child, but they taught you through what you got to witness and the actions they took. So whether they were overtly teaching me or, or they taught me, because I don't remember being overtly taught, but I can remember money is tight and no, Wendy, you have to be responsible for yourself. You can't ask for money. And so I can remember that as being part of the, uh, of the growing up, but I don't remember anyone saying, Oh, other than, um, you're going to university. Okay. That was about it. <laughs> and did you feel, did you always feel confident dealing with money, managing it? Like when you were a teenager I'm, I'm university. confident. Uh, I've learned absolutely everything the hard way, Megan. Yeah. So I actually think of myself, everything I've learned, like almost all the way I've built, the way I plan, the way I do everything and the way I teach or the way I provide information to people is, Hey, this is what I did wrong. Here's what I learned from it so that you don't have to. And then I don't feel that that was actually a failure. I actually feel I was, it was me learning a lesson so I could teach others. Right. Right. Does that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I just yeah. find because, you know, most of the people who listen to this podcast are women mm -hmm. and my intention is for women to learn more. And I think yeah. obviously money is directly related to your business. Um, I find that they're not confident most of the time. And even the ones I'm talking about, like accountants and financial people, that they don't necessarily, they're not necessarily confident about money. They'll say, well, I know how to do, to put this column, money into this column and do this, this, and this. But there's a whole different mindset where you live, you know? Oh, absolutely. And I think I'm going to go back to childhood again. The messaging we received as children, subtly, overtly, or whatever, was that men deal with the money and the women may not, right? And it's interesting, I show, when I do, um, I kind of have a little bit of a money mindset uh, presentation I do, and I show this video. It's a BBC documentary, five minutes long, uh, and it's a gender study. And what they do, have you seen this, Megan? They take oh. a little boy and they take a little girl and they dress them up in each other's clothes. And then they have volunteers play with them. And the volunteers have a myriad of choices of toys and things to do. 
And invariably, if the girl is dressed of what the uh, baby that looks like a girl gets soft toys and, you know, little fun dolls and things like that, the, the child they think is a boy gets puzzles, gets put on the thing and all this stuff. And it's, it's fascinating. And, and this was biased across the spectrum, whether it was a young person or an old person, and didn't matter what gender they were, they all fell victim to that stereotyping of how they treated that child. Yeah. And so, oh, yeah. Right? So what I say, I use that video so that people will understand that, you know what, your parents may be the most uh, open-minded, all things, but there's, they, all, they may well have fallen prey to the same type of stereotyping and not even known that they were doing it. Oh, and yeah. so that's the hard part, I think, about the money mindset. I know you deal with this every day, is that it's ingrained in us at such an early age and the messaging we're receiving, and we, we don't know that we got it and they don't know they were given it. No, and I think I'm still of that generation. I'm 51 now, and that is the generation I grew up in, which I call the 1970s mom generation, where, <laughs> you know, they, they even they were even if they were divorced they were still dependent on their husband for the primary source of their income and i saw even though my mom was a nurse she didn't make as much as my father so therefore she didn't have as much power in the relationship mm -hmm. so i think we have a lot you know that i talk about this a lot about how we're conditioned and the beliefs that we have that create yeah. the feelings that we have toward money and ultimately um I think women can be good household managers and in many cases they might have been given in the old days the lump sum and then they might be, you know, they might allocate it to the different groceries and whatever it is. But what I find, even to this day, my friends, they still give the investing part to their husbands. If they they're delegate, they delegate, delegate, delegate. Do you see that? And I don't think you can. I think, or you could. Okay, here's my analogy. You ready, Megan? Yep. I have a lot of analogies about buses. <laughs> so on this bus, and when you're in a when you're in a relationship with someone, typically around money, one of them's driving the bus, and one of them's at the back of the bus looking out the window. And I always say to people, I know you're comfortable back there, and the scenery is gorgeous, and you're having a grand ride. But really, over the next little bit of time or the next few meetings, all I want to do is move you up a seat move you up a seat because what I need you to be able to do is I don't care if you end up driving the bus, but I want you ready to drive the bus. If you necessarily, if it, ha if something happens and you need to, that could be a divorce. It could be a premature death. It could be all kinds of things that could mean that you need to r drive that bus and just being ready to do it. And I think, um, I think women, it's interesting. We have so much financial power that we're abdicating on to some degree. And this may be a bit controversial to say, but when you look at the fact that 83% of buying decisions are made by women, 62% mm -hmm. of university graduates are now women, and that 40% of women in a traditional uh, male-woman um, relationship out-earn their husband, we have a lot of power. We are also poised to be the generation that uh, controls more money in the world because of inheritances and things of that nature. So what I feel like it's the ring is there, right? It's just right in front of us and we can grab it, but it's about the words you used earlier was about having the confidence to grab that ring. And I call it, uh, unleashing our money power.
right? Because we have that power. So how can we unleash it and take control of it, right? And, uh, and, and becoming equals in that relationship to talk about money, building the confidence so that you can, no matter where you are in life. I mean, I look at, um, I've had conversations with women who are super powerful and super achievers and they're awesome people, but they were raising families of three and they had high powered corporate jobs. So something had to give. And so that may have been when they started delegating it out to the financial advisor to deal with it mostly, but they're ready now to engage because the children are old, older and they've kind of got the handle on the job now. Right. And so they're ready. And now we've come to the point where they're like, now I should be, I, you know, the word, I think you hate it too. Should, uh, I should know this stuff. I should be able to do this. I am ashamed or embarrassed to ask these questions because I think that because of my title, the amount of money I make or what have you, I am expected to already know this stuff and I can't show them that I don't because oh, I'm I, coming in from a piece of weakness. Absolutely. And what I would say is, is just thinking about the women I grew up with and, you know, most of them came from a middle class or an upper middle class background, the university, they had, um, they were ambitious. And I think that this is the one area that they didn't feel confident in mm. is the area of finances. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, you and I have talked a lot about confidence and conditioning. You know, what I'm thinking about now is we're in a new world. You and I are talking now, and it's, it's, it's COVID-19. We are now in June. It has been a shock to the system. I mean, I remember watching in Let's shake up something else. Yeah. Everything else has been shook up. Let's yeah. shake up the money stories. Right. Exactly. And I think... There's going to be an awful lot of women who might be tuning in, actually, who are beginning a new career due to the yes. fact that, yes. um, I mean, there's lots of reasons why there's going to be new careers in, in the new age, you know, AI, I mean, you name it. There's going to be a lot of reasons why old traditional jobs don't work. And mm -hmm. a lot of those women are going to have to find and create new careers and become entrepreneurs. And I think a lot of people are going to also reassess, by the way, during this time of quarantine. I think there's going to be a lot of reassessment on relationships, clearly. <laughs> and the, and this is the truth. There's going to be people, say, for example, leave their relationships, divorce, and they are going to create a new life. And so yeah. their relationship with their money and their credit and their insurance and all the stuff that you are an expert in is mm -hmm. going to shift. And they are going to have to admit they don't know, right? And be, what do you think? Yes. And, oh, I have a theory. Uh, it's based on a young adult book from uh, several generations ago, Megan. You would have read it growing up like I did. Are you ready? Yeah. That was then. This is now. <laughs> so I, I really, truly believe that this is a time of reinvention. This is, to use the dreaded pivot word, if you will. However, let's call it reinvention or transformation. And where you can be deliberate about what you want to do with your money and how you want your money to serve you. Your money is a tool. It is not some omniscient being that can control your life. You control it. But that requires you to make effort and time to control it, right? And to build a path that you want and to be deliberate about, okay, I'm changing this and this and this, and this is what my money picture needs to be for me to achieve the goals I want. What do I need to do? Right? So that way you can have that as one of the forces. And I mean, I don't think money's the be all and end all. And let me be clear about that because uh, more isn't necessarily all better, but there is a certain number for everybody that makes sense. Yeah. 
And I, it's interesting. I had this wonderful conversation with a lady yesterday and we're chatting and I'm not her advisor, but we were talking and she goes, I've done this, I've done this. And I, I feel like I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm not should, et cetera, et cetera. And she described a life to me that sounded really good. And I said, you're already rich. You have a partner you love, a house you love, a job you love. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like those are many, many things that people would, would really like to have. So you are already rich. So now it's just about the money, which is not always about the rich part. So in my mind, money is a tool to make your life more rich, but it's not about, it's not, again, having a million dollars or whatever that number is, doesn't make your life happy. No, and, and I think what you're saying is my lingo, which is values. You're talking about values, which I know you dig into, and that's the main focus. And values are another word for beliefs. Yeah. You know, what do you believe? What do you value in life? What do you believe is important is, is another way of putting it. So when people come in to talk to you, is that what you're digging into? I dig a little bit, but um, I think it's important to understand your money story and things like that. But sometimes I'm like, let's just carve a new path. Let's just start afresh. Here's what we're going to do. <laughs> and if possible, when those monsters from the past pop up, get a, get a weapon, get a toolbox, so you know how to deal with them, but don't let them interrupt you along the way. And know what is important to you because I talk, we talk a lot about, about unconscious spending and how a lot of times, you know, we have this bucket and there's little leaks along the way that we don't even know that money's going off to places that bring no value to you, right? It's because you're used to doing this or used to doing that or it makes life easier, whatever, but it's not helping you uh, align with your values and what's important to you and your goals. And so I really think that bringing con spending up to the conscious level, aligning it with what's important to you and your goals, and then making sure that's going to serve you in the long run. It's so important. It's, and it's beyond just picking the right investments. It's beyond all those things. Those are super important, but you also have to be deliberate about what you want to achieve and why. So you and I were talking a little bit yesterday because of COVID and because of, um, what hasn't caught up yet, but we know that many people are obviously in, especially the self-employed people are in crisis right now, financially. I've heard a lot. I did a, an online conference with a bunch of people, a bunch of uh, professionals in particular industry last week. And uh, it was, it was really tough to listen to them because of the anxiety. And they're, by the way, they're, they're not, it's not artificial. It's not coming back their industry for a while. So when you think about where we are right now with the COVID, those people are going to have to, the dreaded word, pivot, change, figure out new ways to make money. Yeah. And one of the things that I think a lot of entrepreneurial women are fearful of, or women, period, is debt. Hmm. Can you talk to me about your philosophy around debt? It's so layered and nuanced, but honestly, uh, in my mind, there's good debt, there's bad debt. We've all heard of that. Um, I like to think of it as wanted and unwanted debt because if we're buying a house and we have, we're trying to pay that down, sometimes, sometimes I think we let it wag the tail, if you will, and start, uh, it drives everything you do. If you have credit card debt and it's at 20%, 24%, yes, we want to take care of that. But we also want to be deliberate and conscious about how we do that. So I like to have a very structured debt repayment plan. And what I also like to do at the same time is save. 
because I want to have, uh, I call them buckets, short-term, medium-term, long-term, so that, uh, you know, when the next thing happens, how much do I have in the short-term bucket so I can weather the storm, if you will, because, and we got to build that. But at the same time, I want to be paying down debt because uh, the, they both have the same ultimate effect on our net worth statement, you know, what we own versus what we owe. If we're, build, if we're depleting the amount of debt we have and building up the amount of assets we have, it's the same effect. So it, from a mental perspective, it gives you a number that sh that's, that's working for you. But from the debt perspective, I like to be structured, in particular, if you're dealing with uneven income streams, which we see all the time with solopreneurs and people in business all the time. So what I hate seeing or what I worry about uh, being hard on the head is that you're paying down your, oh, I had a great month. I paid down all this debt. And then the next month, you don't have a good month. So you're back in the debt. And I feel like that can be hard on your head. Whereas if I'm being very particular with a structured payment plan that I know I can sustain versus big chunks going down, going back in it. So I'm in and out of my line or whatever. So it's going up and down all the time because then you're not seeing progress. And that is just building. You feel like, like it compounds that potential feeling of failure every time you go back in. So let's just make it so you don't. Yes, it's going to go down slower. Yes, you'll pay a little bit more interest, but you know what? You'll feel better. And in my mind, there's the ideal and then there's a sustainable one course that you can take that will allow you to get to where you want to go. And yes, it may take a little longer or whatever, but it's sustainable. That's where I get into a lot. So, you know, when I'm thinking about this time period too, and people going into their, their, you know, creating their own new businesses. Cause I know that if you come from what I call the normal world, like <laughs> yes, I'm with federal employees all around here, we're going to be leaving. You, have a hair, where you get a hair, a haircut and a real job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're just, they don't have these wonky hours and, you know, yeah. you know, they live a different life. But one of the things that, you know, I know from having, I'm in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, the federal uh, capital where all the federal employees are, and they have a very structured life. And then yeah. when they decide to go out on their own and start their own business, it's a very different way of thinking. Particularly, um, the reason why many of them have stayed in their job as long as they do is it's called the golden handcuffs, which is the yes. pension, right? Yeah. So, you know, in this time, I would think having and talking to you before and other financial people that your um, emergency fund, like I remember the first time I ever heard of it, an emergency fund was Susie Orman, I think in yeah, the yeah. Oprah, Oprah days, because she used to be on Oprah and she talked about having it, an emergency fund was I think what she called it. Mm -hmm. um, in, in this time period, we have learned, I guess you're saying, we needed to, we need to pay attention to this. This is not a fictitious thing you think about. No, no. I think... Some everyone, a lot of people have had something happen, but never I think this wholesale across the board thing. And yes, some people's boats did were way floatier and prettier than other people's boats, because some boats sank. Let's be honest, right? So we're all in different boats, but across the board, we got to see an experience. Because if it wasn't you in the in the sinking boat, you knew someone in the sinking boat, and. For the first time in my lifetime, I think as Canadians, it went from an academic exercise, yeah, this is something I should do versus, oh my God, I really need to have this. Because it just was across, the stories are everywhere. You can't escape it. And it's and then the whole world stopped about it. And so, you know what I mean? I think it, I think it 
penetrated all the busyness of our lives because we get so busy we don't have time to think about this stuff. So do you think it needs to be, you know, I think the sort of average was like four months, was it not? Is that sort of what the average really, was? Like a lot of people think three. Oh, but okay. I, you know what I mean? But I think that uh, I'm actually starting to think maybe it should be longer. I'm, I'm going to start looking at how big can we make that? You know, like maybe we should be going to a year. And it doesn't mean it's not deployed in some way or working for you. It just means it's accessible. So, you know, one of the things, so I, I mean, I, that's a really interesting thought. I'm just thinking about my grandparents in, in yeah. depression and I wonder how many, because of course in those days there was no social safety net at all. There was no CERB, there was no anything. So I, I wish I could go back and ask them that question because of course they were super savers. And well, and they did not use credit, Megan. Did they have it? Did they no, even have it? No, I don't think so. And I think no. that um, everything was bought with cash. And I mean, the most, actually, the most devastating thing for me about this whole COVID is that I love cash. I wish everybody was on cash. I wish no one ever used a credit card for their day-to-day -day expenses at all. I'm sorry for all of you guys that collect points, but uh, sometimes they don't, it's a, it is a lagging indicator of where you are. Mm. Because, and cash is predictive. Because if you don't have the cash, you don't have the money. If you I had cash money. here, by the way. I had like cash in a little jar. Yeah. My husband was like, we don't know what's going to happen. And so oh, cool. seriously, he was like, we don't know. We should have cash on hand. So we had like thousands of dollars. <laughs> like he was oh so God, I didn't do that I did um but I will find it so what I used to do or the way my system works is every once a week you go get your cash for the week and the money covers your groceries you're eating out your entertainment so I would call it your lifestyle and discretionary spending you manage by going to cash right so it does force decisions because I think that's what leads to uh, unconscious spending or overspending is we're not make, we're not forced to make decisions anymore or choices so should we have our kids be doing that like should our kids be using cash instead of the internet into the interact well, see, there's a whole, uh, I could write you a conspiracy okay, article about that, but yeah. honestly, uh, I think it's, I would love it. I don't think cash will exist in a little while because this yeah. whole system has taken it down. But I have, like, I have found a card that I like that will tell people, um, uh, will allow people to monitor and be a, a predictive indicator. And I built an app so that people could do that. So, ooh, ooh, yeah. Wendy, you were on it. Well, well what is the point remover? Yeah. From level two, right? What is making it so that you cannot be financially successful? Oh, it's because you guys don't like cash and you don't know how to coordinate it, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I built an app. Now you don't have an excuse. Oh, I love it. That yeah. is really cool. Yeah. So one of the things that is sort of interesting is, is obviously I do not have the financial knowledge, so I never talk about that. But one of the things that I, one of my most popular videos I have is three things you can do to um, boost your money mindset. And one of them is, is to learn and study women who are financially successful, women who have great money habits, what are their beliefs, how do they, how do they talk and feel about money, to yeah. study them, like they're in a, a lab or something. And the other thing that I got from one of my favorite uh, money mentors is a woman named Barbara Stanny. And she went from, uh, we'll talk about that at one point, Wendy, but she's got a really interesting history. She was the daughter of, um, um, the, uh, the famous, um, oh my gosh, who is the people who does your taxes in the States that we hear about? 
the two names. Why am I forgetting this? They have, they're one of those, you know, they do your taxes, you bring it to the corner and they do it. They do. Yeah. So her dad is one is the R in the blog. No. Yeah. And she had this really unhealthy relationship with her husband who was a gambler, ended up losing all of her money that her dad had given her almost, and then owed a million dollars in taxes. Because and her husband, her husband left the country, and the IRS was after her for a million dollars. So she spent the rest of her talking about getting women to the point where they were. She had to change, and she significantly changed. Did a lot of yeah. mindset work and a lot of. But her her thing is is every day to educate yourself in some way. So opening up, you know, whatever the newspaper, the Globe and Mail, or if you're in the yeah. States, you know, something like the Wall Street Journal and reading and starting to become more confident. And I know that you, which I didn't know you had this until recently, but you have this brilliant challenge. So tell me a bit about the um, financial confidence challenge. Perfect. So it's, um, I tried to accommodate a couple of things. First off, uh, women are in overwhelm right now. We have too much in the go. Uh, how many of the uh, women are teaching their kids uh, some weird wor- form of math? Uh, all this other stuff, right? They're busy. Number one, they're busy. And we don't want to do too much at one time. And so I developed this 30-day financial confidence challenge. And what it meant to do is from Monday to Friday, you get le- a video every day in your inbox and it's less five minutes or less long, and it's about a topic. So I talk about credit, I talk about mortgages, I talk about asset allocation, I talk about stocks and bonds, and I talk about insurances, and I talk about wills. So it's the whole gamut, but it's it's down in super simple, simple language, taking the terms and explaining them, just to up the confidence level. In, So what we did at the front end of the course is we actually give you a little quiz. It's only 10 things long and you answer the questions. Here's the kicker. We then ask you how many questions you thought you got right and to measure the confidence level, right? Because there was actually a study done that showed that women, 60% of women are highly financially literate, but only 30% are financially confident. So That was where, you know, when I think about that, I think about the clients that are sitting across from me and everything, I realized there was a gap. And people needed unbiased, uh, non-jargony, not books and books and books. They just need something to start the process and get comfortable so that they can have a good conversation and feel comfortable on that side of the conversation and know when someone's giving them the right goods. Oh, I love this. So, so anybody who's listening to this, I want, I'm going to put the link in. So fear not, cause you can get the link in, in the notes. Um, because I think this, when I heard about this, I thought this was a fantastic opportunity to each day. Cause it doesn't have to, cause I think that people think they're going to have to read books and they're going to have to, and you're just freaking out. Right. Yeah. So this is an opportunity and this is going to help how you feel your money mindset is yeah. to take the opportunity to educate yourself. And I mean, you hear about insurance, I need to get this, or I should get this or whatever, but all the stuff that you're talking about, we didn't have those kind of conversations with our dads. Most of us, I shouldn't say that across the board, but most of us did not have these conversations. And I think women are notorious for holding back on things like talking about their investments, insurance, um, you know, any sort of investing or how much money we have or how much money we make. And the problem with that is that 
I think that most men have those conversations and therefore they're more educated and more confident because they're having the conversations all the time. And I think it's a little sports mentality, if I will. I think that men are bragging about their investments and the home runs they hit. But when I talk to other advisors, and I'm talking across the board, male advisors, women advisors, they prefer women investors because it's not that we're not, they don't want to take risk and it's not that they don't whatever. It's that they're considered and they're just, let's just do it. Right. And once they, they take their time, they do their research. And once they're in, they're in and they follow, they follow through. So they're not always looking for the home run, which can be way more damaging. Uh, I guess it's the turtle in the hair. Yeah. And you know what? I remember reading that in the 2008 crash, that the women were more conservative and more judicious in their choices. And they, I remember someone saying if women had been the financial, had been the financial leaders, that they never would have gotten to the point in the financial crash that they did. So that you, that if you had a woman financial advisor, that you lost less money than if you had a male financial advisor. And that That's of course, interesting. I yeah. hadn't heard that. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And, and I mean, you heard uh, parents who lost their, who couldn't, who, the retirement. I mean, there was a, yeah. it, it took them a while, obviously, to build it back up if they did. Um, you know, but going out from being a corporate consultant and starting on your own, which is what we know a lot of women are going to be doing. They're going to be starting their own businesses if they haven't already. Yeah. What do you think that you have struggled? I always ask my guests the belief that you think that you struggled with initially. It's funny. I read your question. I had advance notice, so this was good. But the thing that came up for me was fear of success. And I'm not sure. I, I don't know where it came from. I went to hypnotherapy. Yeah. I did all kinds of things. And um, I, I found I had to just do the work, like show up and do the work. And it just kept, and you know, just all of a sudden it became okay, right? Like you worked your way through it, but I did identify that as something that was holding me back. Uh, I do believe in the GI Joe saying that knowing is half the battle. So at least I knew that. So I could consciously at some points going, mm, does that make sense? Is that, is that your fear or is that real, right? Versus what's real, what's fake? What are you making up in your head? So that I could um, deal with that and, and work my way through. And I also think I, my dislike of paperwork could have held me back a lot too. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's actually a pretty common one, my dear. That's one of the number one. But you know, you're, you're, you're unusual in the sense, I think, becoming more the usual though, is your husband works with you and you have yeah. a team that work with you. Yeah, he joined me in the business, uh, we think six or seven years ago. We laugh and laugh and laugh at this because again, to go back to that paperwork comment, he goes, Wendy, you know so many people, why do you only make this much money? And I'm like, it's the paperwork. He came in, he, he always jokes, he goes, I was Johnny Tough Arms, I came in, I'm gonna take this over. And then he says, after the first year, he looked at me and goes, how did you ever make that much money? <laughs> <laughs> so he was, he was boggled too. Yeah, but you know, I think I think a lot of um, I think that one of the subconscious the, the reason why I mentioned that is because I think that one of the subconscious barriers for mm -hmm. women in some ways in business is that they are afraid their relationships are going to suffer if that success will mean financial success mm. will mean that their relationships have to suffer. I don't think they do. I think if we're with the right people who want the best things for us, um, I mean. 
I'm an extrovert, but I'm low on the E scale. So um, I have a joke that if my butt hits the couch, I'm not going anywhere that night. <laughs> and so, but I'll get home and he knows I have a networking event and he makes me go. He goes, you have to go, Wendy. That's your go. So it's not, he's not going, oh, spend more time with me. Don't go. You know what I mean? Like he understands because we, we, because we're working together, we have a shared goal. We have a shared uh, vision of success. And I don't think that just has to be for business because we have a shared vision for success of what we want to do in the world. And we know what each of us has to do uh, in terms of, you know, work and sacrifice or whatever to get where we need to go so that we can enjoy what we want to do. And I think, uh, I wish everyone had that kind of relationship because I hear it sometimes, you know, with there's that subconscious, unconscious pressure that you need to be home more, you need to do this more, you need to be like this more versus, okay, that's what you need to do. How are we going to do it? Right. And that's what I wish for everyone. Yeah, I think that's excellent. I think that's a really good point. Because um, I used to work in the area of relationships for five years. So mm. I hear what you're saying. The other thing that I always ask my guests is what belief do you hold now that guides you, helps you in your business? Mm. I think that, um, I'm going to relate that back to a story. Okay. So two and a half years ago, I went to the Genius Network and the Genius Network is a very expensive place to go where the Brendan Bouchards, all these big, big people with big followings and they do all kinds of stuff are. And so I just soaked it all in and I went, oh my God, you're not thinking big enough. And so that was a real nice wake up call because I feel like sometimes I, for my industry and for my role as an independent advisor, uh, I'm not affiliated or obligated to sell anybody's products. So I don't have anyone telling me what to do. So that's a bit different. And there's actually across the country, only 17% of advisors who are independent are women. It's crazy numbers, small. So, um, and uh, good news is, is I just hired one. So we're actually going to build up another, we'll build a team on that. But anyway, um, what I learned is that you have to look beyond your immediate little circle of people and things to see, make sure you're thinking big enough if that's what you want, right? Because sometimes, um, you know, there's, According to strategic coach, there's three levels of entrepreneurs, uh, one who's just replacing their job. The second one is a lifestyle entrepreneur. And the third one is the one that's building big, big things. And none of those are right or wrong. It's what you are, but knowing which category you fall into so that you can set your goals to that and thinking big within that category is fine, right? Um, none of them are right or wrong. Again, like I want to say, uh, sometimes I say I fall into the third category, which is unfortunate at times. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, why is it often ever enough? <laughs> yep. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? So uh, I said, I, I think that, I think what drives me now is to define my goals based on me and what is important to me, what makes me happy versus what Instagram or Facebook says I should find important or uh, my aunt and uncle think should be important, whatever that is, defining success on my terms and my husband's terms, because we're doing it together is, you know, so we're defining success together. And I think that's made a big difference for us. Oh, I love it. I love that. So I, I really, I love the idea of the challenge. So I, okay. I really want to encourage people to end. I want to end this on, I'm really excited about the challenge because I think that 
I think there's a real lack of education. And I think there's a, people are intimidated. And I think women, having worked with women on their money mindset in my, my mindset course, I think that confidence is the number one thing for anything, obviously, whether you're building your business or whether or not. And money is a part of it. And you can't deny that money nope. is a part of it. And I think a lot of people want, think that one of the beliefs that I have had to really work on with people is the idea that the money's not dirty and having money doesn't make you um, Donald Trump, by the way. It used to be that, honestly, honestly, Wendy, in the old days, when I used to, before he was president, people used to fear, if I have a lot of money, I'll turn into Donald Trump. And for women, I think they thought that they would become this really horrible bitch who has to stomp and doesn't care. And I think that you are saying, most importantly, that it has to reflect your values. And if you understand what your values are, whether it's investing or how you want to live your life or how you want to do your relationships. So I really appreciate that. And we will put a link to that because I think that that is a, a wonderful thing to have. And thank you so much. Oh my God, Megan, my this friend, has been so being fun. I, I, uh, we could talk all day. Exactly. We, can, <laughs> we will actually, you're going to come back and we will talk about other things because yeah. you're, always, you're always, you know, you're developing and you're I'm always creating. I'm, I'm also an inventor, I think. So well, yeah. and you have a book. I'm going to put the book down as well because I, I think it's really, you're, I know you're working on book number two, but I'll put the link to book number one. Okay. Right? Okay. Perfect. Okay. Thank you, madame. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our guest today as much as I did. If you are interested in connecting on social media, then I am on Facebook and LinkedIn, Megan O'Neill Core Beliefs. Or if you are thinking this is the time for you to empower your mindset and expand your life and business, you can find me at meganoneal.ca.